Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, June 3rd, Wildcard Wednesday. We're going to be talking about how one company working on a COVID vaccine is providing some awesome lessons to investors this week. I'm your host, Don Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's completely undistinguished contributor, Brian Faroldi. Love that Brian writes his own title and manages to surprise me pretty much every time. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, if I can get a smile out of you, I'm doing my job right. I'm doing great. How you doing? It's always a great start to the show, I think. Uh, I mean, for folks that are listening, I'm sure you can hear me smiling. Um, a, a lot of news, a lot of news going on, period, Brian. But I, I think, you know, obviously one of the big stories has been COVID and coronavirus and so many companies addressing the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic um, with different potential vaccines. And this is going to take us into a space that you are far more familiar. I can kind of tread lightly, and I'm so happy to have you on the show uh, because we're going to be talking about this company, Moderna, um, who a lot of people probably hadn't heard of up until maybe two months ago. And that's really in large part due to COVID. Yes, this company has been on fire in 2020, and we've seen exactly that with lots of companies that have been identified as coronavirus stocks. Basically, investors and Wall Street and speculators and whoever can't get enough of so many of these businesses. But yeah, the company we're going to focus on today is Moderna. Uh, The ticker symbol there is MRNA. We'll get to what that means in a couple of seconds. Uh, But this company... Excuse me, uh, came public in December of 2018. They are a clinical stage biotechnology company, uh, which means that they do not yet have a single product on the market. They have a pretty robust pipeline, but none of their products have made it all the way through to FDA approval and are on the market uh, yet. That's pretty typical. We see lots of companies come public at that stage because they're burning through capital and they need uh, uh, cash infusions regularly to fund uh, their clinical styles, but their clinical trials. And what makes this company kind of uh, special is their drug development technology is based on messenger ribonucleic acid, or mRNA, hence the ticker. And uh, mRNA is uh, is a very plays a very fundamental role in uh, human biology. Uh, It's a single stranded molecule that carries genetic code from DNA in a cell's nucleus to ribosomes. And ribosomes are in cells, and they're the protein-making machinery. So the theory behind this, uh, this company is that by developing mRNA-based drugs and injecting them into a patient, you can instruct the patient's own cells to create proteins that then go on to uh, prevent, treat, or even in some cases, cure diseases. And although this company, again, is in the clinical stage, um, it actually has a pretty impressive uh, pipeline. 23 drugs, 23 different mRNA drugs are in development. They're at various stages. 13 of them are already in the clinic, and four of them are currently in phase two. And they're, they're being studied to treat a huge variety of diseases, uh, vaccines for uh, Zika, uh, RSV, influenza, cancer, and of course, COVID-19. 
Brian, I think you did a really good job there of dusting off the junior year biology Barbara McGurk class notes that I had somewhere in the back of my brain. Um, you know, this this stuff can get very heady very quickly for people that aren't familiar with the space. Um, and, and the science is well beyond the scope of what I can explain. But I think for people that are not used to looking at these types of businesses, it's really worth emphasizing what clinical stage and zero products means. Um, and And to put some numbers to it, because you can say, oh, sure, they don't have any products, but they're a business. Um, as of March 31st, 2020, they had 50 million in trailing 12-month sales. And even at uh, what was a lower valuation prior to the COVID explosion that, that caused them to really balloon, uh, they were around $8 billion. That puts them at a valuation of 160 times sales. So when you are looking at a company that is biotech, clinical stage, doesn't have any products. It's a very different investment style than a lot of the stuff that we tend to focus on, especially on the tech show, where we're looking for easy wins, companies that have consistent recurring revenue. Um, the story's totally different with these kinds of businesses. And you really, in a very real way, cannot use uh, many of the metrics that we talk about all this time on the show to attempt to value these companies. Uh, you can't, you, you certainly brought up the, the price to sales ratio and listeners might be confused about how could a clinical stage company have revenue in the first place and they get those through uh, partnership agreements, milestone payments uh, with, with a few of their partners. They have a partnership in place with Merck, uh, for example. So it's fairly typical that when they strike these partnerships up, uh, as the drugs make their way through the pipeline, their partners give them milestone payments along the way. And that does bring in some some revenue. Uh, but to your point, if you just looked at this company's price to sales ratio, you would see an absurd number that would make Zoom look like a bargain, basically. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you can't look at it that way because so, uh, oftentimes, once a company goes and actually gets a drug uh, from the clinic into the market, um, the sales growth is just obscene. I mean, it's, it's, it's obscene. It's, it's, not, it's not impossible for a company to go from basically zero to a billion uh, in sales in a very short period of time. So uh, I would just say you have to keep that in mind when you're talking about these. Oftentimes, they're valued based on what's known as peak sales potential. Like, what is the, what is the peak sales of a drug uh, in, in the pipeline? So, and you, you, it's, a, it's a revenue multiple of, of that number. Uh, so valuation is always tricky in general. It's a thousand times trickier when it comes to clinical stage biotech. Yeah, we often say that the market is forward-looking, right? And we are trying to understand what a business could blossom into. And that's particularly true in this space because you have a pipeline of drugs. You hope, if you're a shareholder of one of these businesses, that they are able to make it through all of the necessary trials in order to ultimately hit the market, all the necessary stages to ultimately hit the market. And then there's some approximation of the likelihood of that happening and the market opportunity. And that's where you get this huge multi-billion dollar valuation for a company that has pretty much nothing. It's basically a rounding error uh, in sales, and it isn't due to any of their actual drug sales, right? It's, it's like you said before, it's due to those milestones. So it already, I think, to an outside investor would have looked, quote unquote, expensive. Um, and then all of the coronavirus news hit Brian, and the story changed very dramatically. You know, there's always excitement about the biotech space because it's a little bit more speculative, um, but that really ramped up when you look at like March, basically, for this business. <laughs> yeah. So this is a company that, again, when it came public in 2018, basically traded sideways uh, for, for the following 18 months, floating somewhere between a valuation of 
five billion and eight billion, which by the way, those are big numbers. Though that's 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 pretty sizable company. That's just in in the clinical stage. However, when March, uh, when when at the start of this year, and coronavirus really just took over everything, this company was identified as a coronavirus stock, and it has just been a rocket ship. Uh, the company is currently up. 200 percent, more than 200 percent since the start of the year. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, that number was over 300 percent year to date. Uh, This company currently sports a market cap that is worth 22 billion dollars. That's big. That's really big. In fact, it's actually bigger than many biotechs that are that have been on the market for far longer periods of time and are producing revenue. Uh, companies like uh, Biomarin, uh, uh, Neuroquin Biosciences, Ionis Pharmaceuticals, Exalexis, uh, Sarepta, those companies have, are trading in the multi-billion dollar valuations, but they actually have made it through to the clinic. So, that number, more than anything, tells me that there is a lot of excitement and hype built into this company right now. A big part of that excitement and hype, Brian, is because the company put out some releases showing that there are some positive signs when it comes to some of their uh, developed drugs possibly being a COVID vaccine. Yeah, exactly. So they, they have a COVID-19 vaccine in development. The drug uh, is called mRNA-127. Uh, it, it, did co- it, did, um, it was in a phase one study, again, the very first phase study. And the company did release some very encouraging results uh, a, few, uh, a few weeks ago uh, from, from this study. So uh, they, they announced that um, this, this phase one study had three cohorts of patients. Each cohort had 15 patients in it each, and they were given different dosages of this drug. So either 25 micrograms, 100 micrograms, or 250 uh, micrograms. And the exciting thing here is the company issued a press release uh, that said that um, of the first eight patients to release this, all of them uh, were shown to have antibody levels in their body that was similar to those seen from patients who recovered uh, from COVID-19. Now, a- and the drug was also shown to be uh, safe and well tolerated. Moderna took that info and they, they have uh, kicked off a phase two clinical trial that uh, is going to be a 600 patient uh, trial. But when they released that news information, this stock exploded higher. And it actually was so exciting. It literally took the entire stock market uh, up with it. So this got a ton of news. Yeah. And I can understand why. I think that people are generally looking for good news and folks that uh, have been following the COVID story, you know, whether they're hardcore investors or not, have been wondering, you know, who is going to be the company that comes out and really gives us some form of treatment for this thing. Um, what we need to remind folks is this is phase one, you know, and we're entering phase two, but you know what, there's more beyond that too. And, and there has to be that kind of probabilistic analysis to every level of all of this. Um, the excitement was was kind of uh, lightning in a bottle, given everything that's going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, completely. And, and you understand why the world focused on this and, and investors rallied, uh, the entire market rallied because of this, because we're, we're so desperate for uh, tr- treatment options and a vaccine for, for this this uh, for this disease, it's just been uh, terrible. But uh, the company uh, could uh, be in a little bit of hot water based on that uh, result because some people are accusing them of 
overhyping uh, their results and making too big a deal out of it. Uh, the results that were released on uh, May 18th, and you know, just to uh, just to let listeners know, just within a few hours after releasing that result, this company did a secondary offering. And they sold 20 million shares uh, to the public at $76, which added $1.34 billion into their, into their pockets. Now, that makes sense. Uh, you definitely want to take advantage of a very high-priced stock. This company is going to be losing money for many years to come as it advances its uh, pipeline uh, down the road. But also in there was we learned that... Um, the CEO and several other executives were also selling stock uh, after that uh, huge rally, and they netted themselves somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million. And then Moderna's largest shareholder, which is a VC firm called Flagship Pioneering, also sold 1 million shares of stock. And, and that VC firm was actually a venture fund that was founded uh, by the co-founder and chairman uh, of Moderna. So there are some out there that are questioning the timing of, of this result and accusing the company of overhyping results far too early. Yeah, and I think that the reason I wanted to talk about this today, Brian, was not only is this a company that is kind of squarely in the focus of the entire business world, I think, right now with with really what they're working on and kind of being seen as this kind of pure play vaccine, you know, for something that has basically held the entire world in, in this kind of altered state. Um, but also, there are so many interesting lessons for investors that come from this. And it's such a great on-ramp into so many different parts of how companies are funded, how executives sell shares, all of these things. And so it would be very easy to look at those executive share sales and say, whoa, boy, that's that's pretty fishy. Um, and what you learn after doing some reading is these were scheduled sales. And it's a really important thing to unpack when you are looking at insider sales, whether these are things that are part of a scheduled program or not. Because if it's part of a scheduled program, you don't have to worry nearly as much. And the SEC has actually created a specific system for insiders to do this. Yeah, it's called a 10B5-1 plan, which is just an awesome, super intuitive name. Uh, but th these are preset plans where insiders can set up to sell their shares uh, at, on a set schedule ahead of time. So that way it minimizes their ability to do exactly what this company is being blamed for, which is uh, pumping and, and dumping. Um, so, so that 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 mechanism is in place, and we've seen tons of executives use these. I know that uh, Bill Gates has been using this for years to steadily unload his Microsoft position. Uh, the founders of Google have been doing this for years to unload uh, their position, and the CEO of Moderna has actually been doing that prior uh, to this recent run-up. In fact, he actually sold a big chunk of uh, of stock in January prior prior to the to the huge. You run up, so I think that is their their saving grace at this point. Although it is a little, it's still a little. Uh, you know, it does it does uh, strike a chord that they seem to have rushed this press release out to market, and then the very next day or within the next couple of days, that's when these ten B five one plans were set to a sell. So while while the transactions were made a whole uh, a way ahead of time, the company had complete control of when that press release went out. So the optics here still aren't perfect. 
Yeah, and I think that that's a really good point because when we're talking those 10B51 plans, which is as much of a mouthful as some of these drug name Brian's, <laughs> you know, um, it, it is easy to say it's it's the set plan, but you know, management does control when this information comes out, and that can sometimes be lost in these conversations. Um, the the other interesting part of this is the company's decision to raise money, and we talk about this all the time with IPOs, but. If you're a business and you're giving away equity, we see this on Shark Tank even, right? You are trying to maximize the value of the equity that you are giving away. So you can, if you're giving away control of your business, which is kind of what you're doing in a sense with equity, um, or you're diluting existing shareholders, you want to be doing that at the highest valuation that you can. And in this case, they came pretty darn close to doing it at the highest valuation that they could. Yeah, and again, they had complete control over that uh, price, uh, the the release of that press release, and they, they they also got some flack for that because again, even in the press release that was uh, sent out, there was just data for eight pa- eight patients, and as a reminder, this study had forty five. Uh, in it, so it was nowhere close to a a full data set. Uh, in the company's uh, defense, they did say we're trying to get this information out there. It was so uh, we're so exciting, and clearly the world wants information like this to be out there as soon as possible. But there have been several people in the medical community that have pushed back and said, "Why would you release this so early without giving us the full the full data set?" It it was quote unquote practically unheard of uh, to to do this uh, at this time, and it's also worth pointing. This company wasn't exactly, I mean, they're, they're burning through capital, but they weren't exactly short on cash. As of the end of March, they had about $1.2 billion in, in, in cash and equivalents uh, on their book and, and zero long-term debt. Yes, they are setting fire to tons of capital at, huge, at, at a huge pace. Um, so so th- there's also that to, to consider. And management did say, oh, we were thinking about raising capital in March, uh, and it just got accelerated due to the share price, um, the share price going uh, parabolic. So on the one hand, if you are a shareholder, yes, you want, the, you want this company to be adding cash to its balance sheet at advantageous prices, uh, which it definitely did. On the flip side, again, the optics here are not great. Yeah, and there's kind of that difference between the incentives for people that are current shareholders and the incentives for people that would be shareholders, right? And we see this massive run-up, we see all this great news, and um, perhaps it's a little bit of an incomplete story. You know, I saw a lot of press in the medical community looking at this and saying, well, we're seeing a lot more language here than we are numbers when it comes to this stuff. And this is, to your point earlier, a little unusual. And um, you could argue that that was done intentionally. Um, but current shareholders, people who owned the stock before that announcement, probably thrilled. People who saw what was happening, bought into the hype train on this, are probably pretty disappointed because shares have come back down to earth as we've started to sift through the data and really see that it's, it's pretty limited. And, and and it's also worth pointing out that it's not like Moderna is the only stock that is going absolutely bonkers here because of uh, the COVID nineteen hype. Uh, we've seen we've seen tons uh, of companies from across the healthcare spectrum just go absolutely bonkers this year based on saying, "Hey, we have a COVID nineteen vaccine too," or "Hey, we're developing a test," or "Hey, we have a treatment uh, for it." Uh, just to throw out some uh, other companies, uh, Novavax, which has been a, a biotech that has been under huge pressure for a long 
long, long time focused on vaccines. That stock is up over 1,100% since the start of the year. Uh, Anovio up 334%. Uh, Ver Biotechnology up 196%. And when you get down to the small and penny cap land, uh, the percentage gains are even larger. So that just shows me that there is an incredible amount of uh, speculation interest in these types of businesses right now. And what's unfortunate for me is, you know, when when people are beginning their investing journey, you know, they look at stuff like what you know, what are the highest gainers year to date, and that's you know where a lot of research will start. And um, we talked before about just how this is a totally different investing world than most companies. The classic valuation metrics don't really work. The product pipeline is totally different. Um, and the the news that these businesses trade on is totally different. And so what I think is unfortunate is very novice investors might get lured into this with, with very little idea of what's really going on, whether it's the business fundamentals or the reality of the share price and valuation and how stable that is because it's so news driven. Mm-hmm. And D- Dylan, we're on full TV right now, this full live thing that we have going on for uh, basically since the start of this pandemic. And one of our viewers a couple of days ago shared with me this great Google Trends, uh, this Google Trends map, which showed the, the, the Google search for the word stock trading uh, over time and how it basically held steady. And then in March, it just went straight up. So people are sitting at home and they're deciding, hey, it's a good time for me to learn about in- investing. And, and, and unfortunately, they're going right for the trading aspect of thing, which is something that obviously we rail uh, against. But to your point, the hype cycle that we've, we, we've seen this over and over again uh, in, in the markets. I mean, just within the last couple of years, uh, we've seen massive interest in things like cryptocurrencies, marijuana stocks. Uh, a few years before that, there was other 3D printing stocks uh, were all the rage. A couple of years before that, when there was worries about hyperinflation galore, uh, gold and silver stocks were, were, were in the middle of the hype cycle. To me, there's no doubt that so many of these coronavirus stocks are exactly in the middle of that. And typically, when you see the hype like that, it doesn't end well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there are very legitimate industries with cash flow producing businesses that also go through that same hype cycle. And um, I, I think that that's why you know, we talk so much about the idea of dollar cost averaging with positions, not having your cost basis tied to any one point in time. This is a big part of that because you can own a really great business that happens to have gotten caught at a period where expectations were way out of hand. The news was just too positive. And if that's your only position in that business, you're going to be waiting a long time for that to be a positive position for you. Um, If over time you're able to buy in at several different points, smooth it out, um, you are far more likely to enjoy the long-term gains and benefits of those business. Because it can take several years for businesses to wind up going back to where they peaked when expectations were really high. Yeah, exactly. And and when I first got started investing and didn't know anything, uh, I was I guarantee you, if I was starting today, I would be I would be investing in coronavirus stocks because uh, when you know nothing, you want to go where where things are hot and where you think you where you think making ten percent returns per day is what you should be going for. None of that ten percent per year garbage. You want ten percent returns per day. And how do you do that? Well, when I first started, I thought you do that by buying 
unprofitable speculative penny stocks. And, and right now we're just in a, a time uh, in, our, in our history when there's huge demand uh, for those kind of things. So no surprise to see that there's lots of companies out there that are hyping that they are also a COVID-19 stock. And they're seeing their share prices go uh, bananas because of it. So um, I have an unfortunate feeling that many new investors are setting themselves up to learn a lesson. Uh, all I can say is, I learned that same lesson myself 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked at a lot of my kind of early investing decisions, a lot of my early stock purchases as tuition payments. Uh, and you know, if you do it right and you're long-term oriented, those tuition payments don't wind up being a cost. They actually wind up being something that grows for you. Um, but very often, if you are buying penny stocks, they wind up truly being an expense. And uh, it can be you know, a quick and expensive lesson to learn. But the, the temptation is there. You know, When you don't have a lot of money and you see low share prices, I can see why people get caught up in all of that stuff. Um, Brian, I think to, to recap all of this and kind of just hammer home the investing lessons from this Moderna thing, um, when it comes to insider buys and sells, don't overweight your expectations to simply seeing them. Understand that some of these things are scheduled and the more important thing with this one is the timing of the other news that the company is choosing to release, less so the sale itself. Um, we saw, you know, that this is something that management was already kind of doing throughout the year. Um, and then I think also the biggest thing is for me, I like I don't know this space well enough to invest in it. Even having spent a lot of time researching this company in order to do this show with you, I feel like I'm barely holding water having this conversation with someone who knows healthcare a lot better. And while it's so tempting to hop into these mega trends, you got to know your circle of competence and you got to know how big it is and where the boundary is. Yep, that's exactly right. And biotechnology is its own special beast and boy, is it hard um, because you can, I mean, companies can have near flawless phase two data and the drug could look like the next wonder drug. And then when they enter phase three, it just crashes and burns. I've seen that so many times. So uh, investing in general is difficult, but when you go for biotech, uh, the difficulty factor uh, gets exponentially harder. And just to circle back on something you said about insider buying and selling, we get asked questions about that all the time. Uh, So-and-so insider is selling, should I be concerned? And sometimes the the media also catches on to things and really inflates them up. I remember seeing a couple weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg sold $500 million of Facebook stock. And if that's the only thing you knew, you'd be like, wow, that's a he must be willing to get out. Uh, And then you realize, oh, he also has uh, probably 30 billion (laughs) still (laughs) still writing on Facebook. So, So context is everything. But insiders sell for a huge number of reasons. You never know what the reason is why, why they're selling. Uh, maybe they're uh, getting divorced. Maybe they're building a house. Maybe they have an enormous tax bill that they're trying to pay. Maybe they want to diversify their investments into other things. So always try and put these things in context when you see huge, huge insider selling or insider buying. Ask yourself, was it done automatically ahead of time or was it done uh, to take advantage of, of, of a stock price? And Stay focused on whether or not you believe in the long-term potential of the, of the business uh, because insiders, uh, even though they're selling, uh, they can sometimes get that wrong and the stock can continue, continue to rally from there. For the folks that are newer to the biotech space, you're going to be able to follow Moderna and basically go through phase one, two, and three and see exactly what that process looks like for a business in a very high-profile way. We mentioned that, uh, that phase two clinical trial starting with 600 patients. If all goes well there... 
there might be some amendments to the process, just given that there is a you know, very large public need for uh, this to be out there if, if results are promising. But you can bet there's probably going to be a phase three somewhere too. And if you're new, this is a great story to track because it's going to give you a really good example, a very well-reported example too, of what the biotech process looks like, what the drug pipeline process looks like. Um, and, and very often, you kind of have to follow inside industry mags uh, to really get that coverage consistently. Yep. And the other thing we'll, I will throw out there, Dylan, is it's not like Moderna is the only company working on a, on a COVID-19 uh, vaccine. At last, uh, at last count, I think we had 28 different uh, companies that were working on vaccines of their own. 21 of them are publicly traded and in different, uh, different uh, size scales here. So, while this drug uh, is certainly exciting, it's it's one of the leaders. We're all we're all rooting for it, just like we're rooting for basically every COVID nineteen uh, drug to come out. Picking the winner, picking which drug is going to come to market first, is is incredibly hard. I mean, it is it is a it is a dice roll of a dice roll. It is it is truly uh, gambling at this at this stage of the game. So uh, just keep that in mind. Don't don't focus your intention on or don't make a huge bet based on one drug just because of uh, the results that you you see now. Just realize that. There are there's so much interest in this, and there's so much R and D going after this. It's impossible to say which company is going to win the race. I love that as a final takeaway, Brian. Thanks so much for hopping on today's show, Dylan. Thanks for having me back, man. <laughs> Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, you want to reach out and say hey, shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool com or tweet us at mf industry focus. If you want more stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Brian Froldy, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.